0: is hannah nordby with ndsu adams county extension and you're listening to agriculture applied innovate relate create with ndsu extension on this week's episode with justin jacobs an irrigation research specialist out of the williston research extension center we sit down to talk about intercropping a concept that has been around for a while but is getting a fresh look in recent years and i gotta tell you Justin does a great job explaining the challenges and advantages associated with intercropping. Go ahead and grab a cup of joe and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes which can help us create a better tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss out. Okay, welcome everyone. I am here with Justin Jacobs, and we're getting started on our next episode of Agriculture Applied. In today's episode, we're really going to be focusing on intercropping. I had it. We'll dive into this a little bit more later. But I was calling it interseeding, and then somebody corrected me, and it was like, "No, Hannah, there's a difference between intercropping and interseeding." And I was like, "Oh, really?" Okay. I stand corrected and everything. So it helps me sound like I kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit. But before we get in uh, to the differences between the two, Justin, would you mind taking a moment? Well, first off, welcome. Thank you. Um, And can you explain to listeners um, your experience and your interest with intercropping?
1: Okay. Well, uh, I guess to kind of understand a little bit more of my interest and experience with intercropping, you have to kind of understand a little bit about my background. Um, so I did not grow up on a farm. Um, I grew up moving around the country, experiencing a lot of different things. Um, so for me, farming is kind of more a passion that I've jumped into just out of pure desire. Um and with that i i started going to school at williston state college i was taking uh taking a couple of ag courses there before i transferred over to ndsu to to complete my degree in uh in crop and weed science with an emphasis on on agronomy um my first couple of years or my at while at ndsu um One of the classes that I took we actually kind of looked a little bit at something just very briefly like a a quick 15 minute discussion on a couple of alternative practices and one of the alternative farm practices that our professor highlighted was intercropping well that kind of piqued my interest a little bit and this is back in 2014 I believe um. So I contacted my old advisor from Williston State, and she actually told me that there were some people in the Bismarck area who were doing some work with uh, intercropping as well as cover cropping. And so she suggested that I kind of look into into those producers a little bit more. Well, fast forward um, from there to 20, 2017 when I'm uh, I've been. I'd, I'd been in the uh, working for the Williston Research Station for about two years at this point. Um, I decided that I wanted to go on and get my master's degree. Um, and in trying to figure out what I wanted to get my master's degree and I came across the concept of intercropping again. And uh, as a result, I started to kind of dig a little bit deeper Uh figure out what exactly is intercropping what's the difference between like like you mentioned uh interseeding earlier um and the concept that i really focus on was the mixed grain intercropping so the growing of two crops together uh, and harvest uh planting and harvesting at the same time with the end goal of then separating and ending with two different products um one of the first major people that I heard talking about intercropping was Lana Shaw uh, out of uh, Red Verge, Saskatchewan. She's a researcher up there. And she, she was talking at an event that I was attending about the potential of intercropping. Well, for me, it piqued my interest even further, but because on paper, it looked like it had the possibility to Increase our efficiency, and having not been in a farming background before, and having to kind of learn as I as I went along, well, something that that improves your efficiency looks kind of like a no-brainer. However, there also looked to be like a lot of uh, different hang-ups. Uh, how do you make an intercrop system work? Because this isn't a new technology or a new uh, practice. This is something that's been around uh, when you start looking at it since the beginning of agriculture. Uh, Romans practiced it um, in in a variety of ways, and then you even have uh, the Native Americans were practicing it with their growing, uh, they called it the three sisters combination. They had corn, uh, squash, and uh, beans that they all grew together in a little mound. The corn Uh, was meant for for food purposes the beans were meant to supply nitrogen to the corn and then the squash was supposed to be kind of a a defense barrier to keep animals away from from the corn and the beans um
0: yeah isn't that interesting how old ideas kind of recycle themselves a little bit you might think oh what the Native Americans were doing, or Romans, we're way past that, but.
1: Yes, yeah, no, it it, it is incredibly uh, funny. In fact, I'm reading a book right now, it's called uh, Pay Dirt. Uh, it was written back in 1945 by uh, J.I. Rodale, and a lot of the concepts that he was looking at in 1945 are concepts that we're looking at right now that are pertinent to soil health, but he was already talking about them in 45. And I feel like we're just getting back to the point of that we're trying to figure them out again. So, yeah, it's a very cyclical nature.
0: Yeah. And then, um, so, okay, if we're going back to your story, you decide you're going to go back and um, sorry, was it was it graduate school or you got your PhD you're working on? (sighs)
1: Oh, master's. Master's. So, grad, so, so yeah, grad school.
0: <laughs> grad school. Okay. Yep. Just making sure I'm following everything right. I always get the two mixed up. Don't tell my dad. Um, But, okay, so this is like a graduate project that you're yes. working on. And you also have some experience on your own place, right?
1: Yes. So, um, my wife and I, we started our own farm back in 2016. Um, so for the years of 2016, 2017, and 2018, we're doing kind of farming the normal traditional way, um, just monocrop, um, with applied fertilizers and, and applied chemicals. We're, we're, we're farming the traditional, traditional methodologies, as you would say, I guess. Um, but in 2018 was the first year on the research side that I planted my, uh, that I planted my research project. On uh, 2018, we planted uh, peas and canola together and then chickpea and flax. Uh, we were looking at two different ratios and then we were also looking at the difference between a mixed row and an alternating row setup. Um, we we, we kind of gained a little bit of understanding um, of how intercropping might work. Um, but we also realized that there were a lot of things that we didn't understand about intercropping. So then fast forward to 2019, we completely redesigned my project. Um, I'll I'll admit right now that I don't have a lot of experience with the chickpea flax intercropping side of things. It hasn't really panned out for me the way that I was hoping that it was going to, um, So I'll probably focus more on the pea and the canola side because that's where I've got a lot more familiarity. Um, So in 2019, we redesigned the project. We decided that uh, based on the 2018 research that we needed to um, incorporate some rate of fertilizer because without fertilizer, we noticed that the canola yields were really hampered. And we've kind of figured that a a traditional grower isn't going to want to grow canola when he's only going to get 800 pounds to the acre. He's, he would still like to exceed a thousand pounds. So we figured we needed to look at some form of fertilizer being applied to the system. We just weren't sure what rate that was. So we added three different fertilizer rates, and then we went to a total of four different uh, planting ratios. Meanwhile, On the personal side of farming, my wife and I decided that that was was going to be the year that we were going to jump into trying it at home. Um, So at home, we also did uh, peas and canola together. I guess I should add that in 2019, uh, the crop that we had at home did not succeed. Um, Due to the wet September, everything got laid flat and it was kind of a wash. We had had nothing to really harvest from there. However, we did have good research results in 2019 and 2020. I hope this isn't too confusing jumping between the two.
0: No, I think it's important for listeners. And that's why I wanted to reach out to you is because you do have that research side of things. And then you have that personal experience because, um, well, it may not be a new idea. It's one that's cycling back through. And so personally, you know, I don't know a lot of people that are intercropping. And I think it's important to realize too that in the same year, depending on your location and so many other factors, it could be a success. Like you said, your research was a success, but on a personal level, it it didn't work out if I'm following right. Yes. Right. And so, uh, Listeners, don't be discouraged. You know it takes time to kind of figure out what works best for you. And as you mentioned earlier, the peas and canola is the option that works best for you. And there's a lot of other ways. And maybe we can just talk about the different options in a little bit. Yep. Um. But I'll let you finish talking about. Um. So you, 2019, it was a split. Like research did well. Personal farm was a flop. Um, yep. And then. 2020.
1: So 2020, we had another good, well, on the research side, it didn't quite work because we actually encountered some herbicide injury, which we had not the year before. So the peas were a lot shorter than expected and the yields weren't, uh, weren't, weren't where we had seen the previous season. So in 2020, it was kind of almost a flip because then on the personal side, I had a really good uh, year with intercropping. For example, we had 20 acres, and on that 20 acres, um, we raised 25 bushel canola and 16 bushel uh, yellow peas. Um, Compared to, I had some neighbors who were raising monocropped canola, and they were only getting about 30 bushels. So, I mean, we were trading five bushels of canola for 16 bushels of of peas. The other kicker in that 2020 year is that we decided um, based off of what I'd seen on the research side that we could cut our fertilizer rate back just a little bit. So we went from applying on a normal production level of canola, the NDSU crop production guide recommends fertilizer for about 120 pounds of nitrogen and right around 15 or so pounds of uh, sulfur. Based on the research that we'd seen in 2019, I figured we could scale that back to about half. So we actually only applied 60 pounds of nitrogen and 15 pounds of sulfur, but yet we still had a uh, a, a very favorable canola crop um, compared to what what our neighbors also had growing a monocrop, um, with a full rate of nitrogen. Um, so in 20, 2020, the results were very favorable. Um, then you've got last year, the drought year, where both on the research side and the farm side, neither really did well. Um, we, we, the research side we had some weed issues kind of wiped things out so we ended up just kind of scrapping the trial for the year on the home side everything grew um to to maturity and I was able to harvest it the only thing was I made the management decision to cut my fertilizer even further just because of where the input costs were Um, and I believe that's where I went wrong in 2021, because I, I, based on the equipment I was using, I'm thinking I was right around 30 pounds of nitrogen that I applied. Um, that's not 100% accurate. I was using an old uh, fertilizer spreader. So I, I'm guessing I, I was aiming for about that 30 pounds and and you could really see the effect on the canola. The the peas did all right, but the canola just wasn't there. And that's kind of important because one of the things I've learned with these experiences is that you need to identify which crop you want to grow for. Which crop do you want to be your primary? And for the last couple of years, my primary has always been canola. Um. So then that's, that's where my management decisions have, where where they've been catered. Yep. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. I mean,
0: anytime you're not going to meet all the needs of this crop and all the needs of that crop. And I think, you know, just listening to you talk, a lot of the different factors that farmers should be taking into consideration if they're thinking about intercropping is you mentioned herbicide damage and making sure I'm guessing it had to, to do with like spraying at the appropriate times or knowing the rate to apply it. And if you have questions about what you should be applying or how much and those details to spray, who should they go talk to and how could they figure out? Because there are some off-label concerns.
1: I, I mean, I guess they can come and talk to me if they would like to, um, and I can work with them uh, try to I guess address some of the potential concerns and then I know Caleb Dally down there and heading there, he's been doing a little bit of work with me on on some herbicide uh, because it looks like there might be some antagonism between the broadleaf and the grass herbicide and that's where I think the issue with uh, the stunting came into came into play right
0: So good for producers to be aware of and depending on who they have on their team. So maybe you like working with extension professionals, whether it's your local extension agent or they, your local extension agent can put you in touch with some researchers or, um, you know, I know a lot of people have a pretty good relationship with their local agronomist. And so I think just like being pretty direct with them, like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking do you have experience with that? And if they don't, just being like, that's fine. Let's go yep. find somebody that does because yep. I don't want to accidentally get myself into trouble. Yep. Let's talk through these different issues that came up yes. to help listeners think through, we want to give this a shot, but we want to set people up for success. Right. So yep. we talked about the herbicide considerations. Uh, you mentioned that on the drought year. So what intercropping what kind of years do they like? Do they like really wet years? Do they like dry years? I don't want to say an average year because what are averages in North Dakota? But maybe what what are the red flags that pop up in the springtime where you're like, maybe this is not the year
1: to do intercropping? Well, I think that that kind of plays into a little bit of the insurance question too. Because as of right now, there is no uh, th- there is no insurance option. There are a few ways that are kind of being explored to try and, uh, try and alleviate that concern. Um, for instance, I'm having a conversation all the time with my insurance agent about what do we do? How do we try and make this an insurable practice? So one of the things that we're trying to address right now is that we're, we're working on trying to come up with a written agreement um but you have to have so many years prior to that of of your production history before you can start doing a written agreement and there's there's kind of debate as to whether or not that's two years of previous um previous history or that's three years of previous history. One guy will tell you one thing another guy will tell you something else, so I can't confirm which one it is is for certain, but when you don't have insurance on on your intercropped acres, you are taking the risk of of growing those two crops entirely on yourself and entirely on your operation. So then I think that's what becomes the biggest decision factor for a drought year. One, do you have do you have some experience where you can put an insurance claim down and kind of minimize that risk where you might have a drought year that things won't grow or are you going to be completely taking everything on your own shoulders and if that's the case can you go a year where you might have a failure um
0: does the conversation also maybe play in um if you're a little bit leery, maybe you just do less acres or is there like a, spe- a sh- like a sweet spot when it comes to the number of acres producers should think about planting if they're toying with this idea?
1: So I guess my, my approach has always been if you're interested in it, if you want to try it, don't completely run away from it, but don't also go and plant the entire farm into it either. Take a couple of years and play around with it on 10, 15 acres. Um, because you're 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 going to find several hiccups within your own practice that you're going to need to refine. Um, intercropping is not like going out and growing wheat. Uh we, we don't know a lot of a, a lot of the, the the fine details yet. We're we're discovering them. And they're, they're going to be different for each farm. So you can't just automatically hop in your tractor, set the planter to a certain level and just go because you've been doing that all the time for wheat. You've got to kind of play around a little bit more with, okay, first of all, does my planter have this capability? Um, like I mentioned earlier that uh, we looked at mixed rows versus alternating on the research Side, um, and and the research side kind of showed that there's a little bit of a wash between the two. There wasn't a whole lot of difference. Initially, we thought that there was a little more advantage towards the alternating rows. When I look back at the data, I don't think there's really a clear advantage that direction anymore. However, on the personal side at home, I've made the decision that I'm going to go to the alternating rows. And, and that's just going to be how I'm, how I'm tailoring my practices. So then it becomes kind of a, an equipment consideration. It, th- there's a whole lot of facets, and one of them is the equipment consideration. Can you do a mixed row, or can you do an alternating row? An alternating row allows you the option to uh, the rows that are going to have the canola to seed them a little bit shallower to meet the demands of the canola, and to seed the peas a little bit deeper to meet the demands of the peas, where if you're planting a mixed row, you've got to kind of compromise somewhere in the middle. So there's going to be a lot of playing around from year to year to figure out like, okay, this worked for me last year, is it going to work again this year? And you might find out that it doesn't. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, tell people to completely avoid it during a drought year. I'd say still put in um, a few acres uh, just to kind of get some more experience with it. And I think there's a lot more going on below, below our feet at the soil level than we really understand when it comes to intercropping. Because now you're going from growing just one kind of root system to growing two different kinds of root systems. And there is some research that shows that two different roots interact differently in the soil. They, uh, they, they have a habit sometimes of one, one root system will mine a certain nutrient that it doesn't necessarily need, but then it can then share that nutrient with the other root system. So when it go, goes to kind of figuring out whether or not you should do it in a drought year or not, I think you should probably look at cutting back a little bit, but I wouldn't completely shy away from it.
0: Right. Mitigate your risk and let's be real. We live in North Dakota and uh, there's always a good chance that it's going to be a drought year. And as you're talking, uh, what I kept thinking of is um, it reminds me a little bit of cover crops. And so those folks that have jumped into the cover crop system, you know, every year we'll, we'll rent a no-till jail from the local SCD and dad'll be setting the, ses, like setting the, setting it all up. Right. Yep. And I'll kind of like poke my head and be like, Oh, hey, what are you doing? Like, how do you decide what rates that you should, or what depths that you should be planting yep. everything at? And he's like, yeah, I just kind of try to remember what I did last year. And then if it went well, I try to keep it at that. Or, you know, some years you're like, oh no, you know, the radishes didn't come up, but that's because we planted them too deep or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. there's a, there's some, like you said, there's some tinkering to kind of figure out what works best. Okay. Also, I think it sounds like there's some tinkering that, uh, producer has to think about when it comes to your input costs which I think you know knowing how expensive some of those input costs are going to be for producers this year yeah I thought you did a pretty decent job explaining how you were able to cut back but you want to make sure that you're not cutting back too much and so uh, do you just want to explain that thought process a little bit more for listeners
1: yeah, so I, I have kind of played around a little bit with uh, some budgets and some predicted uh, expenses. Uh, kind of have used a combination of the NDSU crop budgets, kind of piecemealed piece together something for both peas and canola, and then joined them together. So, one of the major um, attractions to Intercropping is the potential to reduce some of your inputs um one of the ways that i mentioned earlier was the uh was the potential to reduce your fertilizer now when you're looking at a year like this year where a fertilizer at first was being predicted at about thousand bucks a ton for urea if you can figure out how to cut back on some of those fertilizer costs, well, you've saved yourself money. And, and as I've and as I as I mentioned, the research and personal experience has shown that 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 you 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 can cut back a significant amount of fertilizer and, and still have a decent uh, canola yield, which I think. Um, yes, I would guess probably seven out of 10 years, canola is going to be the more profitable crop in a pea and canola system. Um, However, down like in heading there in your area, more farmers might be interested in growing peas. So then they're going to cater their system more towards towards peas, which then if they do that, they're probably not going to want to apply fertilizer because we have seen that Applying fertilizer will start to um, bring your pea yields down a little bit. It'll make the peas a little bit lazy, and they won't uh, won't really fix as much nitrogen. We've seen that from prior uh, research that's been done. So, in a system where you're looking at at making peas your primary crop, you can completely cut out the the fertilizer cost. And then uh, instead you can put a little bit of um, canola in there and you're probably not going to put a full rate of canola, which uh, in our is about four bushel or four pounds um, to the acre. So you might do, I don't know, say like a third of that if you're wanting to favor more peas than anything. And then it becomes about getting a bonus. You're you're catering everything towards your peas, but then you're getting a bonus addition of canola. Um, So then you can reduce your inputs. One of the things that I've seen is that going with a full rate of one crop over the other kind of favors competition in that direction. So I don't really like to go with like a full rate of peas or a full rate of Canola, I like to do like a two-thirds rate of peas and a third rate of canola or something, or a 50-50 or a two-thirds and two-thirds. Uh, I have no problem having uh like like two-thirds of peas and two-thirds of canola. Yes, that's more poundage than you would plant of one crop or the other, but yet the research has shown that you can still get a decent amount of, uh, sharing yield wise.
0: Right. You just different considerations, depending on where your goals are, yep. what the crop you'd really like to focus in on as. And yeah, I mean, I think this has been a really good conversation. We didn't get to some of my questions, but honestly, I think this is a great starter conversation for those farmers that are, they're thinking about it, they've heard about it, and they're just wondering what are some of those initial pros and cons uh and I might just have to ask you back to have a second episode where we're talk more so about like, okay, um, let's talk about you know the harvesting process and yep. some of those like after you've planted it now let <laughs> questions that yeah. are going to pop up, but yep. yeah, I think I mean. You know, any last thoughts as far as those initial, this is a new idea, newer concept, things that if a producer is considering it, what are there any other bullet points that they need to make sure they think through before they commit?
1: I would say that find a field that you have very little weed pressure on. Um that definitely helps with. With, with the overall end product, because mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have to worry about weed control to the extent that you would in a normal monocrop situation, where you don't have as many options to control weeds, the less weed pressure you start out with, you're going to put yourself uh, much further ahead. And I guess the one one thing that I always like to try and tell people is, it's just going to take work. It's it, it takes a few more considerations, but it is rewarding in the end. I've had several farmers who have been farming for for some time and who are starting this practice of intercropping and they've told me multiple times this has made farming fun again because it's just something that you don't see a lot of that you haven't spent your the last 30 years trying so now you're 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 doing something new and you're challenging yourself. Um you're you're stepping outside of that box and you're 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 trying to improve your efficiency ultimately.
0: Right, give your neighbor something positive to talk about other than like the <laughs> small-town gossip that everybody always focuses on.
1: Well, it's it's fun. I've gone into uh into some of the uh elevators and have just offhandedly mentioned something about but like, yeah, this is a in their cropped field and they always stop and stare at me for a minute. Oh, that can't work.
0: Well, actually, it can.
1: And we can talk about it.
0: <laughs> and we can have a really good conversation about it. If, yep. if you're open-minded and curious, I think that's always important. If somebody's curious and they're willing to ask questions and not be afraid of maybe even asking the obvious questions, you know. Yeah.
1: I mean, from, this, from from the point that we're currently at, there is still a lot of unknowns that we're really trying to define. I mean, we only looked at four different seeding ratios, and there's a multitude of different combinations of seeding ratios. I mean, how much can you cut back your canola before you really start seeing no, no benefits? How much can you push that uh, envelope? So yeah, I mean, there there is no obvious question. It's we're, we're we're trying to figure this out together, and there's there's a great group of people that are are really diving into this. There's a lot of people up here in Northwestern North Dakota that are um, dedicated to to trying to share ideas with one another and, and and just start the conversation of how do you even do this? How do you make it practical? How do you make it worthwhile?
0: Yeah, which are all great questions. And um, I know on my end, I'm always like, oh, well, what's the next up and coming thing that I can pick somebody's brain about? And I think even if, I mean, I don't think this is going to happen, but even if it doesn't go anywhere, right? Like 10 years from now, nobody's talking about intercropping. You can still gain so much insight mm-hmm. from trial and error and just understanding the system a little bit better and Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting stuff, but I'm kind of a brainiac about these things.
1: (laughs) Well, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I like to think so. But, well, I just want to say thanks for sitting down with us and everything. Uh, I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure anybody that's listening will also appreciate the conversation, and it'll at least give them something to think about as they're, uh, you know, hauling in loads to town or in their tractor feeding there's lots of lots of downtime this time of season.
1: (laughs) Yes yeah and I can be uh, contacted I'm at the Williston Research Station and and I'm always open to uh, having the conversation about about intercropping so if you'd like to give me a call or send an email I'm I'm open for that.
0: Perfect and I'll make sure when we All that information will sneak into the episode bio for folks to check out. Thank you for listening to Agriculture Applied. This podcast is brought to you by NDSU Adams County Extension, host Hannah Nordby, and editor Nora Larson. Special thanks to Strong Coffee and Peanut Butter for making this episode possible. Have safe, be fun, and watch for deer. I'll stop this.